Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Tune in as we share stories of triumph, resiliency, and healing. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamili Whitfield, and the journey begins now. Hi, guys. Welcome back for another episode of the Beauteous Me podcast. I'm excited to be here. I know I'm always excited, but I am an excited person. But I have Kariba Allen. Kariba Allen is an author. She is a mom. She is a wife. But most importantly, she's a youth development professional and coach with 18 years of experience in the facilitation of social emotional learning and after school programming. Her additional experience as a former contributor for the international online magazine, Madame Noir, has allowed her to pen Mommy's Monster with the relationship between parent and child in mind. The daughter of a mentally ill single parent, Kariba struggled with her own emotional identity for many years prior to consciously focusing on personal development through wise counsel and spiritual alignment. Her children's book embodies the the experience of her younger self in understanding her mother's behavioral tendencies. Written compassionately, Mommy's Monster created space for relationship renewal between her and her mother in adulthood. Kariba, I am so excited to have you here. Um, I'll give people a little bit of a background. You emailed me on my work email. Um... And you were like, I, you know, I'm a youth advocate. I, this is a book. And I, I looked at it and I was like, oh yeah, this is a book for, you know, the kids that we serve. But I was like, but there's a larger audience that needs to know about this, not just the population we serve. So I'm humbled and grateful that you're here to share your story, your story of resiliency um, that encompasses what, you know, beauteous me is. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, for inviting me. Quite honestly, your replies to the email took me by surprise because I definitely didn't expect that in my outreach, I'd be reaching out to someone who has this kind of platform. So I think that what you do is amazing and absolutely necessary. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. There's divine connection too, because you know, I went on your LinkedIn and I was like, you went to the college of Rochelle, I went to the college of Rochelle too. So listen, (laughs) things align themselves, things align themselves. So tell us a little bit about your story and what inspired you, what really truly inspired you to write Mommy's Monster. And just for some context and background, guys, Mommy's Monster is a children's book written for children, right? For, for anybody, but yeah, for, anybody, for children. Mm-hmm. For children, um, to share a story of a, a mom's monster, if you will, but it's a mom's mental illness. And you don't get to know that it's like really the mental illness. So a little bit after that, you're just like, what's, what's this? But tell us about your story. Like really what, what pushed you the, to the point that you were like, I need to write this story for, to a different audience and, and picture it and, and show it to people. Right. So Mommy's Monster actually was a surprise for me. I know that a lot of people sit down as authors and they're like, I am very intentional about what it is I'm about to do and I'm going to set it up and I'm going to outline it. That's not how Mommy's Monster came about. I was literally moving my car from one side of the street for alternate side parking. And you know, you have to wait an hour to move it back. And in that time, Mommy's Monster literally fell out of me onto the pages. I wrote this book in an hour. Um, It felt really serendipitous. I was so, it felt like more spiritual inclination than anything else because while I was writing it, I began to cry and I started connecting with feelings that I had for my mom in the past. Like what I felt like when I looked at her when I was five, like she was an amazing superhero to me. My mom was like 
I, I can't even call her anything other than maybe a deity for me when you're five, especially since, you know, I was an only child at that point and she was a single parent. And I just looked up to her in a way that I didn't remember. And mommy's monster was the memory that came to me about my mom prior to all of the years that we had to be involved. And when I say we, I mean, you know, my siblings and I had to kind of grow up in an environment that, um, you know, my mother's mental illness kind of took over. Uh, so mommy's monster is a brainchild, but it's really a soul child. It's mm-hmm. something that just, it, I had struggled in and of myself. Like before that, my mom and I didn't have a great relationship. I had distanced myself from her because after years of not understanding the behavior and believing that all of her actions, her demeanor was a choice, I just thought that she never chose me. She never chose us, you know, her children overall. And so I had all of that disdain inside of me for years and years and years. Um, in, I believe, 2017, my father died. And I didn't even have a great relationship with my father because my father, for the most part, was mean, <laughs> you know, most of my life growing up. But it wasn't until later that I understood even the lessons in that. But while I was going through all of that stuff, the changes after my father died, after I had chosen to take care of him, which was also something else that I didn't expect to do. Right. Um, I started thinking about my life and some of the bad memories. When you're already in a place where you're grieving, other thoughts tend to enter your mind that add to the grief. Mm-hmm. And so my father's, my father's life ending forced me to think about things in my own life, all of the pain that I felt. I was already crying. like So it was just easy for everything else to come in. And as I thought about it, I started thinking about some of the hardest memories I had to deal with, traumas that I didn't even speak about, things that I had repressed. And pushed down so far that I didn't remember that it happened. And all of those things came to the top. And so I'm sitting there and I'm crying. And I am I started writing things down, like all of my hardest memories. The, the things that hurt me as a child, abuse that I faced, not at the hands of my mom and dad, but at the hands of other people that my mom and dad entrusted mm-hmm. um, my care to. And I remember thinking, I just want this all gone. And so I started writing the story of just all of the memories of my life that hurt. And I read them over and over and over, like day after day. And I kept reading them until they no longer hurt to read mm. because it was, that was my way of accepting it. I did know that I was struggling with depression. I figured that out on like my 30th birthday. Um, I spent it, like I spent it home alone with a very large bottle of wine. I mean, the biggest one that like Sutter Home makes, I oh, finished yeah. that in that day by myself. And I cried the whole day and I'm like, this, this can't be normal. This has to be some kind of, depression. Like I don't understand what's happening because prior to those moments, I was somebody who was just ridiculously standoffish. I've always been, you know, really witty in conversation. People found me funny, but I'm like one of those memes where it's like, people think I'm funny, but I'm really just mean. Mm -hmm. That's who I was. And it wasn't necessarily the best version of me. Not necessarily. It wasn't, to be quite honest. I wasn't showing up being the best self that I could be. Um, and so in having to deal with my, mo- my own emotional pain and trauma, as I continued to heal, I started to see things in my mom's life. Like I started to understand that a part of what was happening with me was the result of the environment that I was in. I was lacking a lot of the necessary social tools that I needed in order for me to engage with this world in a healthy way. I was toxic, quite honestly, overall, but you don't know you're toxic because you're surrounded by a lot of other people in the environment who are mirroring the same sentiments that you have. So I grew up in poverty. I had friends who had very similar stories. 
Um, so it just seemed normal to have a parent who was struggling, who was impoverished, who, you know, did drugs, honestly. And it's like, that was the norm. And this is just our reality. I think a part of what forced me to see that this isn't reality is the fact that my father had chosen to put me in Catholic school. Although my mom was a single parent, my father was still around and he did pay for me to go to school, but I didn't live with him at that point. So going to a Catholic school exposed me to a new environment, new perspective on family, what other families do. The fact that people do things outside of school, I didn't have any of those experiences as a child living in poverty. And so I remember distinctly one day having a conversation with some friends and I probably was about 12 and they said, you know, I left this at home or I left something at home and I really need it, but I can't get it. And in my mind, I was like, why can't you get it? Like your mom isn't home. I don't get it. You know? So that let me know that one moms leave and they like go to work, but my mom's disability, her mental illness didn't allow her to hold on to things that were like routine, discipline, structure. Like she just was unable to do that. But that, but as a child, that's not what I saw. I saw someone who made choices. And you made the choices not to do this. You made the choices not to work. You made the choices to leave us, to go outside, to be with your friends for all the time that you wanted to be with them. And so this is the narrative that I created in my mind about my mother. And that's what I held on to for years and years and years, all the way up until I want to say age 30. I mean, full disclosure, like I'm age 38 now. I I don't feel anything about it. I feel blessed to be here. So um, I just, I held on to that, all of that disdain, all that time, and it soured every part of my life. I just, I showed up de- in a depressed way everywhere. I showed up that way at work. And I was working with children, but not understanding that I was depressed and working with children. I just knew that I wanted to be a place where children can come and enjoy themselves and feel welcomed and feel like they belong there, but not understanding that I wasn't even giving them the best version of me at that time, based on the past experiences that I had with my mom, it took me, I want to say like six years of like just kind of self-healing and therapy, spirituality, lots of meditation for me to get to a place where I totally understood my mother. And not only did I understand her, I had all of the empathy in the world for her. Like everything came rushing in. I suddenly understood that she was a victim of her own mind. She didn't she didn't know how to come out of what she was in. She wasn't choosing drugs. Drugs was her coping mechanism. And, you know, she wasn't choosing to leave us. It was what happened when she became overwhelmed. And she definitely didn't know how to communicate those things. Although she was going to therapy and she had been formally diagnosed, she had like a, a really bad medley of medication that kind of made her not want to take that. So obviously drugs are the better alternative in that case. Uh, she had a series of therapists, but wasn't invested in the people that she was speaking with. Mm-hmm. And so in speaking with someone that you don't really trust, you're not really engaged in that relationship and it's not going to be helpful. But ultimately, later in life, my mom did find a therapist that she loves and the right medication. And we have an amazing relationship. Like we have literally been able to catch up on so much in these past few years. My mom and I are more like friends. Um, for the most part, but she does still love me in a way where she gives me motherly advice. She's really open, honest, and vulnerable with me. And I think that that's because I probably stewarded that with my own emotional healing. But when I came to that place and I thought about all of the stuff that happened, I was like, everybody needs to know that, you know, people who are struggling this way mentally, 
emotionally, they still deserve the love, the compassion, the empathy. They are still human and they are not making this choice consciously. They're not. And hearing what you're saying, Kariba, it's interesting because I'm hearing how you, you're navigating us through this journey of, you know, your aha moment, um, your spiritual awakening to write about the book and then your story with your parents, with your mom. But when I look at, because in reading your story and reading your blog and guys, you have to really look at, read the story and and go to the blog because it's just, it kind of leaves you wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. You still have that child imaginative mind because the way you wrote mommy's monster um, and, and stemming from your own experiences at no point in that book, did you in an ever blame your mom? It was mommy had a monster. Mommy was shopping. Mommy was this. Mommy went to the doctor. Mommy got medication and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want to give too much because I really want people to get the book and really want them to, to, to just spread it as far as they can. But then in reading your blog, it's always like, my mom is my superhero. So at the end of the day, no matter what, you had that framework where your mom was a superhero. Now, where, you know, I can say as, as a clinician where your shift might have happened, might have been with whatever traumas you experienced, et cetera, where kind of that shift changed and you saw life totally different. But there was a time that you saw life like daddy is mean and mommy is my superhero. Mommy just needs my support and my help. And that is just interesting in how kids oh always need their parents, um, but kids love their parents in a way. And it doesn't matter like if something is off with their parents, whether they're using, whether they, they have mental illness, they want that communication. They want that support. They want that love. And what you're giving audiences, what you're giving even parents who have mental illness, who have young kids and don't know where to struggle is a sense of hope and a sense of resiliency. Because I look at you, um, and, and what you've contributed to this world. And it's fascinating. It's really, truly fascinating. And I'm, I'm just like in all, I, and I emailed you before this and I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait for us to interview because this is, it's just beautiful. It's really part of like what this podcast is, is, you know, how do we show that resiliency, that strength, despite what we've been through and you've been able to heal and overcome. Now, what I do want to ask you, because now I didn't, I didn't get that deep into the story. When did you have more siblings? <laughs> I mean, so uh, my brother came when I was about five. So like, that's the next part of the blog. I'm going to make it progressive because there does need to be a turning point that people see. Um, and that's why it is that I've written the children's book, because it's like, that's the point where we need to catch them and kind of continue to help them to understand what's happening with their parents so that the person who is suffering from mental illness, they definitely have a chance in their child's mind and eyes to continue to be that superhero so that children can understand mommy's struggling, you know, daddy's struggling. Cause it doesn't have to just be mommy's monster. I for sure believe that my father had one, but it was undiagnosed. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I want to catch them in that, that part in that phase of life because I've been working with children so long. People tend to believe that children are just meant to be seen and not heard. And, you know, I don't necessarily believe that. I believe that children are just as human as we are. They have the same reactions that we do as adults and they have a very high level of understanding 
I use my children's books to explain my mother's mental illness to my children. I had never talked about it before. And I gave it to my kids and they were seven and uh, 10 at the time, seven and 10 or eight or eight and 11, they're three years apart. But I gave it to them and I was like, so what do you think of the book? And so one of them was like, so this is what's wrong with grandma. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, this is this, right? Man, and I, I was like, know okay. something's off about grandma, but you know. Exactly. Right. But, um, but I was really happy to know that they understood that there was a difference in behavioral expectations. Like, I was relieved about that. Because one, yes, you are to understand and accept grandma. Because my mother, for what she wasn't as a mother, what she couldn't be then, she's an amazing grandmother. Like, she really is. She worked so hard to kind of correct what her errors were in the past. And so it's so important to me that my kids understand the narrative. Yes, grandma is different. And I do need to explain to you that she is. Because what I don't want is for you to grow up and feel ashamed of who your grandma is. Because my mother is really something to be proud of. You but it took that, that memory. I, I want to keep that comment right there. Shame. Because how much has society put shame on mental illness and shame on parenting that because you have a mental illness, you don't deserve to parent, you don't deserve to raise, you don't deserve to to do these things. And thank you for bringing that up in, in the shameful piece, because we do that. We, we beat people up. Um, which is why people then hide their mental illness, which is why then it gets deeper, their mental illness. And then, you know, crises happen. And then we're like, oh, but what happened? You know, instead of supporting and embracing and, and normalizing, if you will, mental illness and normalizing getting help and normalizing support. So thank you for saying that, because I, I think it's important for audience members to really capture that and listen to that, that it, that that piece is super important. Yeah, I think that people don't understand how common mental illness is. We have all experienced it at some point in juncture, even if it's just momentary, like you just find yourself, some people will call it a funk, right? But in that moment, you're not considered mentally well. So understand that everybody falls into that bucket at some point. Um, me, as a result of my mother's mental illness, I did, um, I did garner anxiety. I have anxiety. It's formal. I, I treat it. I have to deal with it on a regular basis. I meditate on a regular basis so that I can maintain that. And, you know, I can see aspects of that within my siblings as well. But when you grow up in an environment that's really challenging, it can create anxiety. Let's not forget the fact that I grew up in poverty. That that has its own, you know, sense of mental illness in and of itself. The The way that you see life, the disparity that you're living in, the way that it's hard to connect to the prognosis of something better in the future. That's, that's all, you know, what an impoverished mind tends to create. So um, people need to really understand that mental illness is ridiculously common. There's so much shame, especially in black and brown communities around yeah. it. We tend to like sweep it under the rug. I literally just had a conversation with my cousin and I found out that, you know, my grandmother, my mom's mom had diagnosed schizophrenia. I didn't know that. I was unaware of that. So this is a, a history of mental illness. And these are moms who were stewarding large families. My mom comes from a large family. She was one of eight siblings um, or eight children overall. And, you know, I'm sure that was hard for my grandmother to juggle. It's crazy because well, it's I recognize that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. And so I remember being, even when I was younger, being angry mm -hmm. with my grandmother because I was like, she is crazy standoffish. She's mean when she speaks, all of these things. But no one ever explained to me that grandma had mental illness. If someone had a formal conversation with me about the expectations 
in a relationship between me and a significant other, whether it's family or, you know, a relationship, I, I would have taken that better because I really think that people don't understand how much children truly understand. Like they really are absorbent. They've taken a lot of information from the environment because of all of these things. And, and all of my years being a youth developer, lots of training, I have formal conversations with my children about behavior, especially if they see something that is outside of the scope of what regular behavior should be. So it's okay to be angry, but is it okay to be angry and put a hole in the wall? Is it okay to be angry and, and hit somebody? That's not the way that we want to deal with anger, right? But we have to identify those feelings and allow them to know that they're okay to have. Because mental illness is a series of feelings that are happening over and over. It's very cyclic. And if we're not explaining that to children, children are just like, whoa, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with People them? Yes. So, right. What's wrong with them? Oh, they're crazy. Oh, don't, right. don't talk to them because this. And that's not what it is. You know, men, people who suffer from mental illness also deserve love, embracing, support, and everything. Yes. Just how we've, um, I don't want to say normalized, but just how we've trended. Um, addiction and and how addiction is a disease mental illness is a disease as well mental illness deserves compassion and support and again i'm going to go back to you, you know mommy's monster is you gave that platform for compassion for um kids to have compassion with a struggling relative a parent um or anyone that they know just with a mental illness and that's it it's it really is beautiful. You really did inspire me and touch me with that. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, it was just so important to me that, I mean, when I wrote the book, like I said, it fell out of me, but it took a while for me to understand what I had done. And I had to kind of ruminate over that over and over. Well, what are my intentions here? Because I didn't have any, like it was literally something that just fell out of me and I had to find understanding for it and apply it to different places. And so now I'm in a place where I'm like, no, I understand the messaging around it. I understand what it's supposed to do. And we, we're not ignoring mental illness. Like, in fact, we are seeing it, but we're demonizing it. Mm -hmm. And so once I reclaimed my own sense of self and identity, then it was important to me to reclaim the memory of my mom and to honor her in this way. So uh, this isn't like a bashing tour. And although I had to struggle with you know, the things and the feelings that I had for her with my lack of knowledge and understanding all of those years. Now it's like, no, this is my mother's praise parade and she deserves it. Like she went through so much emotionally, so many things that she didn't even have the, the skills or the tools to communicate. And I feel like I offer her that outlet now because I'm able to explain things about the stuff that she's experiencing in ways that she can't. My mom is incredibly proud of this book. Like it brought tears to her eyes. She loved it. My mom said that she had been praying for me for years, like for me to kind of release the anger. And one day it just happened. You know what I mean? And not only did I re release the anger, but I reclaimed the spirit of that little girl who really sees her mom as a superhero. My mom did so much with so little. Yeah. And she didn't know how to navigate anywhere. And it's not like people were jumping out trying to help her because what they saw was somebody who was an addict and that already had its own, you know, negative oh, connotation. It's and it's, right. And so these are two things that, believe it or not, the mental illness and the addiction, they work in conjunction with one another. And so that's not what happened. What was prominent was the fact that she was on drugs. There was no why. You know, right. There was no asking or I always say that. I always say that. I'm like, there's always a story behind someone using there's always a story, no matter how much, um, 
me personally, I hate addiction because I lost a brother through addiction. So I hate, I, I always say, I'm like, I hate drugs, but there was always a story behind it. And that was something right. I had to explain to my my family. He he used because of something. And we have to allow people to understand that and be compassionate about it, that there is a story behind it. And for you to say that, that your mom had a story is important. Your siblings, though, did they have the same experience as you? Because every sibling has a different experience and interpretation of their parents. Some might still be upset. Some might still harbor some some feelings um, and not see her through your same lens. How are your siblings with with um, your journey and your mom's journey? Well, my siblings, I feel like, are still on a journey of their own. Like I said, when you grow up in an environment with a mentally ill parent, and you know, our dad was around, but he just wasn't very. My father was really emotionally unavailable, and so you know, he didn't really address those things. He kind of just instilled in us the discipline to do the things that we needed to do to reach the outcomes that we wanted. But my siblings, I think, I think that they're in a place where, yes, they understand that my mom is mentally ill, but a part of their reaction, the way that they react to it is still in a place where they haven't quite healed from it. Because I think that they're in the same phase that I was in. They're younger than me. I'm the oldest um, of my mother's children. So I think that once they get to a place where they come into their own with their self-identity, because you can't, I would have never been able to understand my mom if I didn't get to understand myself first. Mm -hmm. So while they're right now, they're on this discovery and this journey, but I do have lots of conversations about, you know, what the expectation should be. The fact that sometimes, you know, it is necessary to have boundaries and conversations and behaviors with my mom. And she does understand and respect them. Uh, But I do think that, they're in their self-identity space right now. They're not mad at her to the point where they don't speak to her or anything like that. Quite honestly, they've always been really consistent with my mom. I'm the one who took the time and like really stepped away because I just couldn't handle it emotionally. And my go-to thing was to just detach myself from things that were hard. I'd just rather not deal, (laughs) you know? But they have been there the entire time. They absolutely love my mom. Like that is not a question. But I think that it's still hard for them to kind of navigate some of the emotional things that happen and still get to know themselves at the same time, especially since they're in such a, you know, developmentally and just in basic adult development, they're in a place where they're trying to find them. You know, my youngest, my youngest sibling is going to be 30 this year. That's a challenging yeah. age. Yeah. <laughs> when you're, really like, you're like, wait, what? What's happening? Yeah. So, you know, I feel like as soon as they get through that space, um, things will be better. But I do the best job that I can try to help them understand and unpack the feelings that they're having about situations. And they are all so receptive um, to the things that I say because they watched me go from somebody who was angry and didn't want to speak to anybody to somebody who focuses on happiness and focuses on being able to express and unpack the things that are uncomfortable. So I'm really happy that they they give me the ear. I think that that's important. And I I think it says a lot about where it is they want to be in their journey. Absolutely. So I have just two more questions for you. Um, What tools, because I always like to leave my listeners with tools and resources, what tools would you give a, um, a parent who has mental illness and has children in order to kind of support them in this familial journey to healing? And two, a tool for a kid who has a parent who's mentally ill. Okay. So for a parent who has a child who's mentally ill, be vulnerable. 
I know that parents tend to believe that you don't want to bog your children down with the ways of the world and you still don't have to, but there's nothing wrong with being honest and saying, I don't feel great today. Mm. I just don't. And if in fact you're unable to keep your cool in the situation, be big enough to apologize because you know, you didn't mean to hurt your child's feelings. You definitely didn't like you. And you know that it may happen again. Be honest about that too. And be honest about the fact that it's something that you're working on, but you appreciate their patience, their kindness, their love and understanding as you continue to get to know yourself and them as well while they're coming up in the world. And for children, I would say mommies and daddies are humans. You know what I mean? We're human. And the same way children have all of these very same emotions. They feel the same rejection. They feel the same sadness, the anger, the happiness. And so they're, they're honestly in their mind, just kind of figuring out where to put all of these feelings. So it's okay for a child to ask, mommy, are you feeling okay? Mm. Daddy, are you feeling okay? But I feel like these are tools that children need to have. And that's why I've been kind of trying to market the book to schools and things like that. But I've come to find that schools are terrified of the subject of mental illness. I even have a curriculum that goes with it for grades two to five, um, but they're kind of terrified about it. It's very surface level in school. It's more like, well, conflict resolution, you're telling them what to do in scripted situations, but that's not it. We need to help them identify these feelings and to help them put them in boxes and give them tools for coping and dealing with them because all of the feelings are going to happen. We are one big body of a large array of emotions and they all deserve the attention. And so, you know, that's something that I'm trying to do with schools, with teens. That's something that I do when I have programs with children. I'm like, listen, let's unpack. And it's okay to be as angry as you want to be. Yes. Yes. So what is next for mommy's monster? <laughs> what is next? Because you have- Well, right what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, so right now I'm continuing to build out the blog and I kind of do it in the background. But the thing that takes a little time is that before I drop any one of the, the things that I'm talking about, I talk to my mom about it first. Yes. Like I want to know how she feels about it. I want to know about her memories on it. And I explain to her how it is that I felt in that moment as a child. And it's really nice to have her acknowledge that she didn't know that I was feeling that way or that I was thinking that like, so I'm kind of building out on that. I'm also working on a workbook that complements Mommy's Monster so that people can start kind of unpacking the things that have hurt in the past because therapy isn't for everybody. You know, I had gone to like three different therapists before I figured out that, no, nah, I'm going to do this on my own. I mean, honestly, I go to therapy now every two weeks and I love it. I consider my therapist my thought partner. And I do still struggle with anxiety. So lots of meditation. I have to prep for everything in advance just to be prepared for it. Um, but that's not something that people necessarily know about me in the course of conversation. So I just kind of want to push a little more of that to the forefront. And right now I'm just trying to figure out where the audience is that's brave enough to introduce this to children. Yes. Yes. I think there is a large audience and, you know, we just got to keep seeking it. And I hope people embrace it um, when they hear this episode and can reshare and, and share it to all of those. And, you know, like I said, I'm really humbled by it. I think of the children that I work with, um, so many children in the system who are in the system also because of their parents' mental illness. And if there's any explanation, it's not really talking about, you know, the trauma at home. It's let's talk about what happened with your mom and let's talk about this getting deep into it, but even more, you know, define the culture, you know, you being a woman stepping in and saying, Hey, I'm, 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 I'm going to put all my people on blast. We need to address this and it's okay. 
And I love that about you. And I love that about the work that you're doing. And I'm just so super grateful that um, you were able to spend this time here with me to talk about this. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope this episode fed your soul. Please be sure to download new episodes. You can also head on over to rate, review, and subscribe. For more updates, find us at www.iambeauteousme.com or on Instagram at iambeauteousme. Don't forget to use the hashtag beauteousmepodcast for your feedback.